0: Morning, glory, America, and happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day to you. It's Hugh Hewitt, and this is a special edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show, a special edition of the Hillsdale Dialogues, in fact, all of which are available at HughForHillsdale.com, and it's with Dr. Larry Arne, the president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale, available at Hillsdale.edu, and so appropriate that he'd be joining me on July 4th. For the past 15 years of the Hugh Hewitt Show, I have aired... An interview I did originally a decade and a half ago with Dr. Harry Jaffa. And that interview is, is now not appropriate to re-air because not only have I moved to the morning and the timing is all off. But Dr. Jaffa has gone to his reward, and so we're going to take the best of those hours and spend time with his student, Dr. Larry Arndt, celebrating the 4th of July and Dr. Jaffa. And Dr. Arndt, would you tell people a little bit about Harry Jaffa and why it is appropriate on the 4th of July we begin the day that we celebrate our independence by celebrating those conversations with him about this subject?
1: Uh, Professor Jaffa was a scholar, very great scholar of classical thought, especially Aristotle, and of America from the founding to Abraham Lincoln. He did a great act of recovery in regard to Lincoln and the founding. Uh, his biography, he was, uh, he was born in 1918. His middle name is Victor, because of the victory in World War I. Uh, the centenary of his birth is in two years. He, um, he uh, was very smart. Uh, he went to Yale, studied literature, uh an early among the Jews who were ever admitted to Yale. His father ran a ran a saloon in 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 uh where in Manhattan, I think. Uh Professor Jaffa was a very bright man. In uh, after uh, undergraduate school he discovered at the new school for research, social research uh a German escape Jewish thinker Leo Strauss became the first student of Leo Strauss. Strauss was himself a revolutionary man because he was a Jew in Germany who had studied with Martin Heidegger, a very great thinker, who was also a Nazi. And Strauss had to run for his life effectively from his own teacher. And he thought, something's gone very wrong here with thinking. We should start over, and he went back to the classics. Jaffa, in uh, 1954, roughly, picked up a copy of the Lincoln-Douglas debates in a used bookstore, didn't know anything about them, started reading them in the store, came back the next day to read some more. It was a big decision to buy a book, bought it the next day, and he discovered in a few hours, this is what his mind was like, that this is like reading a Socratic dialogue. Uh, You and I have spent a lot of time on on uh, the Lincoln-Douglas debates and yes. on the Socratic dialogues, right? Yes. He saw the relationship, and he saw that the position of Stephen Douglas was really that justice just constitutes the interest of who's ever strongest, and that Lincoln instead raised the question of the good or the right. And that gave rise to a very great book called Crisis the House Divided. Uh, 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 Professor Jefferson published several books Uh, One on Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle, about which he wrote his doctoral thesis, and several on uh, essays that are delightful. Churchill loved to read Shakespeare and Mark Twain and find the political meanings of those. Uh, I I wish as much as anything about the past that the tapes of two courses on Shakespeare that I had with Professor Jaffa could be available, because they were just awesome.
0: Well, he was awesome when he came to my studio a decade and a half ago, at that time already in his 80s, and uh, quite a remarkable intellect. Let's play the first of the many cuts we have, Harry Jaffa, in the studio all those years ago, talking about the significance of the Declaration of Independence that we celebrate today, cut number one.
2: I would say that the two uh, greatest events for human history in the history of the world was the Annunciation of the Unity of God on Mount Sinai, and the uh, declaration of the unity of the human race in Philadelphia.
3: The declaration of the unanimity of the human race. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, the proposition that all men are created equal indicates that the human fa- that there is a human family, uh, and all races and nations of mankind are part of that family, and that they are all the children of one God, uh, and the the political character of the uh, human race, as such, is shown by the Declaration. The the American people, in declaring their independence, did something which was unique in human history. In the first place, no political system or regime ever had a beginning in which the principles of government were announced. As the basis for this particular regime, but it was also the case that that the that the uh, rights upon which they based their authority were rights which they they themselves declared that they shared with all men everywhere.
0: Doctor uh we were going to break with Doctor Jaffa there, but but Sinai in Philadelphia—that has always shocked people, even fifteen years after I first played it.
1: Yeah, well. He he had this amazing elevator. First of all, it's just marvelous to hear his voice. (laughs) You know, I knew that man for 40 years, more than that, and uh, I just uh, never failed to learn in talking with him, even when he was ordering me about, (laughs) which he always did. Um, Yeah, he had this comprehensive and detailed view, but detailed really only about the most important things. And so he saw that it changed religion from the, from the ancient religions, of which we have record, when the idea was that there was one God for every man. He loved to read the passage from to, in the promise to Abraham. Uh, you will, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and this will be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. And that's a new thing. That's something different. And that means, it means, by the way, in potential, the promise of peace is greater because of that. If we conceive each other as children of a common father. And Professor Jaffa could just ring the changes on that.
3: And he also connected it
0: then to Philadelphia and one people.
1: And also to Athens, see, because what is Socrates' question always, but what is the right thing to do in principle? What is the truth of this without qualification? In other words, one moral code and philosophic understanding implied for all people. Hard to get, but implied. And Professor Jaffa thought that the Declaration of Independence was an expression of the coming together of those two things. And and he thought that uh, we become a unique people making a unique contribution to the world by adopting those principles. And they, they become our principles, and we are a particular people. But we stand for principles that mean well to all. And to 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 hear him explain all that, you know, and the great philosophic text in which he found those things, and the he he was himself amazed when he read the systematic way in which Abraham Lincoln understood those things. Also, the system he discovered this too also the systematic way in which Winston Churchill understood these things.
0: I did not know that Jaffa studied Churchill.
1: Oh, yeah. I had a course with him on Churchill. And uh, I, uh, I, I guess I am the chief one of his students who turned to Churchill. But there wasn't any reason. We used to press Churchill, who's greater, Plato or Aristotle? Who's greater, Churchill or Lincoln? We just loved to ask questions like that. And he had a common thing he would say about it. He would say, if you look up into the, High mountains, their tops shrouded in clouds, you can't tell which is higher. But that doesn't mean you can't tell the difference between a mountain and a molehill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's very well said. Well, it is wonderful on this Fourth of July, America, that I'm joined by Dr. Arne, a student of Harry Jaffa. If you're just tuning in, it's early on the Fourth of July. We're going to spend this hour and next recalling an interview that I aired repeatedly for 15 years in my old afternoon slot with Dr. Harry Jaffa about the Declaration of Independence, about Lincoln, and about the understanding of why it matters. Even to this day. So don't go anywhere. Instead, begin your celebration by focusing on the first principles of the Declaration, July 4th, 1776, uh, penned by Thomas Jefferson in concert with who, Dr. Arn? Uh,
1: the Declaration? Uh, yes. John Adams? Uh...
0: And Ben Franklin, correct? And ben Franklin, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, But they they backed off of Jefferson's eloquence. If I recall this correctly, they were in the room, but they demurred.
1: Well, Adams, manu- Adams was an extremely important man in the founding. That that series, uh, also an HBO series, the book, John Adams by David McCullough, is awesome, and it was made into a TV series on HBO. Adams is the man who maneuvered Jefferson into writing that thing.
0: So we owe we owe Adams a debt and Franklin a debt and mostly Jefferson as well as Dr. Jaffa. Don't go anywhere on this fourth of July. Celebrate the right way by starting by reflecting upon what it is we're celebrating. It is the you do it show. Happy 4th of July, America. It's Hugh Hewitt on a special edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show. And welcome to our listeners across the Fruited Plain from east to west from AM 1260 in Washington, D.C. AM 1260 in Boston, where a lot of the revolution began. Of course, WNTP in Philadelphia, where it was really taken to paper. All the way to the West Coast, our brand new affiliate out there, KTRB 860 in San Francisco, all the way down to Los Angeles. Where my guest, Dr. Arne, president of Hillsdale College now in Michigan. Uh, was then the head of the Claremont Institute when I first met him, a student of Harry Jaffa. For 15 years, I devoted my Fourth of July show to the replaying of an interview with Dr. Jaffa on those most important days in 1776. Dr. Arne, now that Dr. Jaffa has gone to his reward, agreed to join me and talk a little bit about those interviews. Let's play a little bit more of Dr. Harry Jaffa from years past talking about the miracle in Philadelphia. Cut number two.
2: They were radical in that they... Grounded the authority of the people in the laws of nature and of nature's God, and the laws of nature are older than any human laws since they result from the very being of the universe, so in that sense they were very radical, but they were also radical in the sense that they represented something absolutely new in human experience. what was new in human experience was at the same time the oldest ground for 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 morality and and constitutional government. Uh, In the literature of American history, uh, it's very common to to emphasize the continuity between British constitutional development and the American Constitution. And that there was a great deal of continuity is certainly the case. But there was also great novelty. Uh, For example, the Constitution says that there shall never be any religious test for office. This was the first time in human history that there had been a government which was not based in one way or another upon a religious test. The British government was based upon a whole series of religious tests.
3: You'll have to explain for our audience what a religious test is, Professor.
2: Well, a profession of faith which is authorized by the government itself.
0: Now, Dr. Arn, did you notice how he moved effortlessly from Philadelphia to Philadelphia from 1776 to 1787?
1: Oh, yeah. He was uh, the thing about you, you should know about him. I mean, I've I've known a lot of very learned people and work with them all the time. This man was very special, and uh, and the discovery of these themes. We you don't see it in these interviews because first of all, you're doing a very good job with him, Hugh. But uh, in addition, so far, he's not fighting anybody. But he was always fighting people. He, his friends, right? He was always taking on somebody and kicking the daylights at them for making a mistake. He loved the quote uh from from whom? From uh might have been from Pericles, uh, Aristotle is accustomed to seek a fight. <laughs> so so he was like that. He was very aggressive, right? But when you studied with him you also learned <laughs> that he only fought because of his loves. Doesn't his voice sound generous and high when you hear it? Yes. And And then think of the promise and the blessing of these things that he's discovering, right? To treat everybody the same, right? As long as, by the way, they will believe in and practice the principles of freedom and let others do the same. Uh, we learned on the Christmas card at Hillsdale College every year, we call it a Christmas card, but what we put on it is a quote from George Washington's letter to the Hebrew congregation in Newport, Rhode Island. And I learned of that from Professor Jaffa, of course, and he would say that accepting Israel, this is the first letter from any chief executive to some Jews addressing them as equal citizens. It is now no more that we speak of Religious toleration, as if it were by the indulgence of some that others enjoy their inherent natural rights. So in America, the test becomes, not a religious test, you have a right to be free in your religion. The test is, do you subscribe to the mor- to the laws of nature and of nature's God and the moral code that gives rise to it? And, uh, that
0: is a, a, a perfect place to break. Don't go anywhere, America. On this 4th of July, Dr. Arn is staying with me this hour and next, celebrating not only the Declaration of Independence in our framing, our Constitution, but Dr. Jaffa, the scholar who held forth in this period for the last 15 years on The Hugh Hewitt Show. Uh, we review it all. Stay with us on this 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. I'll be right back. Happy 4th of July, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Wake up to the sound of freedom. And wake up to the sound of Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale available at Hillsdale.edu, including free, absolutely free courses on the framing, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. All of our dialogues like this available at Hugh for Hillsdale.com. Today is a special day, though. It's the first time in many a year, more than a decade, that I've devoted my Fourth of July program. Uh, to other than replaying my original interview with Dr. Harry Jaffa on the Declaration of Independence, because Dr. Jaffa went to his reward this past year and I went to the morning and to a different clock. So we have to rework it. And what a great person to rework it with. Dr. R and Dr. Jaffa's student. In the course of that interview, Dr. Arn, many years ago, I, since Dr. Jaffa was such a renowned teacher, and it was actually the first time I met him, I asked him some student questions, including this one, about how important is the declaration for people who haven't read it. Cut number three.
2: The statement that all men are created equal, that they have certain uh, unalienable rights, that among these, now the declaration says among, so the enumeration that follows is not exhaustive. Uh, and we can say very easily that among the rights which uh, with which we are endowed by our creator are the rights to freedom of speech the free exercise of religion freedom of the press these are all natural rights uh, in the bill of rights which is appended to the First Ten Amendments, particularly the First Amendment, which says the Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of people peaceably to assemble and petition the government. These, these rights, which were never mentioned in the body of the Constitution, but they were not mentioned originally because they were assumed to be essential
3: to the functioning of any free government, but they were encompassed in Jefferson's Declaration. Among them,
0: they certainly were. So, Doctor it it's, 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 he just moves effortlessly between the two documents. He wants them to be intertwined. He
1: mm-hmm. had a big fight for many years with uh, a lot of the originalist among lawyers, and uh, they would say that there's only the text of the Constitution. And that you can't add any theory to it. Robert Bork was a famous interlocutor in those arguments. And Professor Jaffa would say, okay, sure, but what do the words mean? You have to think that through, right? For example, the Constitution has three places where it, it protects slavery. Very significant that it doesn't mention the term slavery, which Madison, chief among the authors of the Constitution, said was significant, that they didn't put that in there, because they didn't want that word in there. They didn't want the Constitution to be read as meaning slavery, even if it had to compromise with it. So Professor Jaffa made that point in this argument that he just made, that the list of the rights are not the only rights, that... All of the rights that that can be understood to be appertaining to human nature – we can talk about what that means in a a minute – would also be included. And I remember Robert Burke once responded that there weren't any rights protected by the Constitution except the rights that are listed there. And uh, Professor Jaffa countered, what about the Ninth Amendment, which says that the listing of these rights doesn't mean there are not other rights And Robert Bork, the great originalist, published in writing, well, that part of the Constitution is just an ink blot.
3: An ink blot, very famous. So, Mr. Jeff
1: had him admitting that he didn't want to read all of the Constitution.
0: <laughs> yeah i i uh, I remember from the last segment you talked about how he was best in argument uh William F. Buckley said about Harry Joff. if you think Harry Joff is hard to argue with, try agreeing with him oh yeah uh, and that comes to mind in this exchange I had with him on the founder's intent whether the declaration was really to be a governing document or was just inspiring rhetoric cut number four
2: there's no question that these principles were were the ones to which they gave their ultimate allegiance uh apart from what we know were the compromises that came later, the compromises involving the institution of chattel slavery. One of the, you might say, paradoxes, but also in a sense almost the genius of the American founding, is that it confronted the issue of slavery uh, by denouncing everything that could possibly justify Slavery. At the same time, the people who made our government at the beginning were unable to change everything to
3: fit the pattern of the principles. But people are so cynical today, Professor Jaffa, that whatever politicians say and elected officials is immediately discounted and run through the interpretive mill. And you're making the argument that they intended to be believed when they wrote this down. They were not merely setting the stage for armed no. rebellion.
2: Uh, well, they were certainly setting the stage for rebellion.
3: But not merely.
2: Uh, well, remember, the declaration was issued after the war had been going on for a whole year. And uh, the year before, on July 6th, in other words, 365 days minus two before the declaration, there was a declaration for the causes of taking up arms, so it's, uh, it's causes of justification. So they already had a statement of principles. Uh, which which preceded the Declaration, which and which foreshadowed it.
0: So you see, I was trying to agree with him there, Dr. Arden. and he wasn't having any of it. No, no. <laughs> he, uh, he, he had this in common with Margaret Thatcher, whom
1: I was privileged to know. She wasn't a scholar like him, of course, but if you, uh, especially when she was in her energy before her age came, if you told a story about her i would my my main mode with her when i would see her would be to praise her and tell her great stories about herself she would often retell the stories cuz she could tell them better <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's exactly it. But, but but he makes his point that way. It's it's an interesting dialectical approach. Let's go to what I, I brought up Lincoln with him, and I want you to comment on this at length uh, after we hear it. This is Harry Jaffa on Lincoln's use and in invocation of the Declaration in the Gettysburg Address. Cut number five.
2: Well, let's begin with the first words. Four score and seven years. Uh, one of the main issues between him and Douglas in the Lincoln-Douglas debates, which Continued on into 59 and 60, as well, was whether or not the we exist as a nation by virtue of the Constitution. That's what Douglas said. Uh, only by virtue of the Constitution. Lincoln insisted, no, we live, we exist as a nation in virtue of the Declaration of Independence. So, four score and seven years is designed to to reaffirm 1776. See? So that was, you might say, Lincoln's last word in the debate with Douglas.
3: Oh, interesting. And so by declaring that, though, what is the import of such declaration?
2: Well, in 1857, uh, the Supreme Court delivered a decision known as the, the case of Dred Scott. Uh, that decision was one of the most uh, destructive acts by any person or group in all human history. Uh, the uh, chief justice, in his opinion, said th- that, according to the founding fathers, Negroes, meaning free or slave, were so far inferior that they had no rights which white men were bound to respect. And as evidence for that statement, he said that the proposition that all men are created equal did not
3: include Negroes. So so why did he go there, Dr. Arn?
1: Uh, so be more specific. Why
0: why invoke, I'm bringing up the declaration and, and, and he immediately goes to Dred Scott.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the point is that is, you know, that first of all, there are two kinds of consequences of the Dred Scott decision. The first one is practical and political and it's massive because the Republican party, what it was founded to do, it was founded to uh, eliminate slavery by constitutional means and so, to preserve what uh, the, the partnership between what Link, what Lincoln called the apples of gold in the pictures or frames of silver the the, the declaration is the apple of gold and the Constitution is the frame in which it sits well, the Constitution didn 't give the federal government power to eliminate slavery in the states, and so they thought about this device in fact i 'm very proud that predecessors of mine helped think of this at Hillsdale College. They thought up, most of the land of the country is not yet organized as states. We will exclude slavery from that. And then slavery will be placed in the course of ultimate extinction. And the Dred Scott decision says that the, that the federal government doesn't have the power to do that, right? That means that it, it destroys the Republican Party if it stands, and it destroys any constitutional means to attack slavery. So that's that's massive. But it's not the most important thing about it, because, of course, it is a direct denial of the principle of the Declaration of Independence that the color of your skin could make you a lesser person.
0: Right, right.
1: And so it it, it undercuts both the free nature of the union and also and because it does the second thing, it undercuts the meaning of the nation. And that thing, see, and that's a court decision, right? Later in the Civil War, Lincoln would arrest a bunch of people in Maryland to stop them from fomenting uh, secession in Maryland, and then the capital, Washington D.C., would have been surrounded because Virginia went. And and uh, uh, Roger Tawney issued a habeas corpus order to present these people, so he could let them go. And the guy went to the White. The marshals went to the White House. And uh, and uh, the White House told them they're in a fort. So the marshals went to the fort, and the general of the fort said, okay, good, how are you going to open these gates?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I also asked Jaffa years ago, why did Lincoln even bring up the declaration in the debates with Stephen Douglas? Here's what he said, cut number eight.
2: Lincoln had to argue, as the whole anti-slavery coalition argued, that slavery itself was both impolitic and unjust. Uh, This was a very difficult thing to do because, apart from the opinion in the North as well as in the South, was very unfavorable to the rights of Negroes. Uh, The only way in which the expansion of slavery could be prevented was by convincing a majority in the free states, who would constitute a majority in the Electoral College, that, that slavery was wrong. He had to do this without arguing for anything in behalf of the Negro rights, other than that they should not be slaves. Uh, Lincoln had to it, say repeatedly in 1858. And, and, and
0: Larry, we went over this again, and again. that's a very hard recipe to mix, and yet Lincoln accomplished it.
1: Oh yeah, see, that, that's right. So Douglass' argument was, the country is founded on the white basis. Some of us don't like slavery. We don't have to have it. We can just make it up ourselves. But it's a morally neutral question, it's according to your preferences. And there was a very wide agreement, by the way, that people didn't want black people marrying white people, and people didn't want them leaving, living as equal citizens. How's Lincoln going to argue in that context? And the Declaration of Independence provides the way.
0: It did. We'll come back. Dr. Larry Aaron is my guest. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues available at Hugh for Hillsdale.com, and everything Hillsdale available at Hillsdale.edu. More Dr. Jaffa on the 4th of July when we return. Stay tuned. Happy 4th of July, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Celebrating with you on this Independence Day with a special edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show, a special Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arnn, in which we recollect uh, his teacher and my guest, Dr. Harry Jaffa, a scholar of extraordinary importance in the American founding and around all the United States and the world. Who for 15 years held down this slot, but as I moved to the morning, we took the best of that interview and have Dr. Arn comment. On Dr. Arn, I have to play for you where we sparked it up perhaps the most with Dr. Jaffa all those many years ago, and we talked about God and Jefferson. Cut number 13. I can't imagine that he, he said it so many times without meaning it.
3: And so is it really that the rights are in the nature of the people and the rights are in the nature of the creation put on Earth? Well,
2: when Locke said that we are all property of God, therefore we can't be the property of each other, you see. Now, the two things are perfectly compatible. Sure. The authority of God is, is superior to the authority of man. But among human beings, there is no human being who has authority directly from God.
3: One of the more pernicious arguments that is around nowadays, though, is that the the people who were in Philadelphia on July 4th, 1776, and those who eventually framed the Constitution, did not believe in God and did not intend to legislate for a God-centered world. Is that pernicious or is it in fact objective? It's pernicious. Why?
2: Well, all authority... Human authority, uh, p- political authority, arises from the people. But who is the people? What do we mean by the people? We mean human beings who have been endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. It is the fact that human beings have been endowed by God with their rights that makes the people the source of authority. Uh, but can that authority above the people be exercised in any way, I mean could, could the people establish a Nazi regime or a communist regime? No, because to do so would be inconsistent with the rights with which they have been endowed. Jefferson, on one occasion, spoke of uh, he was criticizing the Supreme Court for claiming the ultimate authority for interpreting the Constitution. He said the, the ultimate authority for the principles of the Constitution is the people en masse, they are independent of everything but moral law. In other words, the people is a people only insofar as it is a moral people incorporating the moral law. And it is, it is that incorporation of the moral law in the people themselves that makes the, the people the source of, the legitimate source of political authority.
0: Now, Dr. Arn that was an elegant few steps. I asked him if nonbelief was pernicious. And he ended up talking about moral authority, having confirmed that it was. But that was a very elegant dance away from the proposition.
1: No. Uh, he, he, uh, he. So let me add the caveat here that Professor Jaffa is a very great man. And I'm not entitled to speak for him. He has, of course, <laughs> okay. many students, and, and a lot of them are better than I. Uh, I just happen to be doing this because the old thing doesn't work anymore for you. But um, having said that, now let me be bold. When Professor Jaffa means, speaks of God, he does mean a perfect being that you can understand through thinking about it, right? You can just look at the structure of the universe. You can see that every artifact you, you, you make – there's a bottle sitting on my table, right? That's a water bottle. The water bottle is for drinking. Drinking is for health. You see there's an ascent. And But when you get to health, you get to a thing that's good for its own sake, and yet it's not sufficient. What are the ultimate things? Look at the perfection of a dog. This is one of Professor Jeff's favorite analogies. He used this all the time, metaphors. He would say, a dog is a noble being, right? He liked dogs a lot. Uh, but a human being is more perfect than a dog. Now just think of the perfections in the human being and imagine them perfected and everything imperfect removed. You have a picture of God. And God, being perfect, would supply a moral standard. The reason that one must have respect for the great faith that, that, that uh, reinforce and elucidate the moral law is because they are speaking of that perfection, in which we find by approaching our happiness in the practice of virtue. So Professor Jaffa was a Jew and had deep respect for that faith. He had deep respect for Christianity. He believed in the regime of, of religious freedom, but he believed that this moral law was known both in freedom, uh, sorry, in reason and in faith. And that's why we can have laws that don't have to be sectarian.
0: And, and, and why we do not, why we must, in fact, have a free exercise clause, not merely uh, a, a religious test that is correct, but a free exercise clause.
1: One of... One of uh, Professor Jaffa's discoveries, I believe, and favorite things to say was that uh, America is made both possible and necessary by the Christian revelation. And the reason that is, is that uh, if, if you, have a Jew, you have the Jewish law, and the Jewish law is, uh, the Jewish uh, faith, is that there's one God for every human being, and this God is a lawgiver. But he only gives the law to the Jews. Poor chosen people. Christ is is uh, is one God for every man, but he gives no law. And that means that the law must be limited so everyone can worship worship Jesus if they please, but he doesn't give a law.
0: And that is all in the declaration, and we will explain more of that in our two of the special Fourth of July edition of the Hillsdale Dialogue. Stay tuned.